0: Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Gritty Reboot. I'm Pedro.
1: And I'm Meredith.
0: So, I want every listener of this show to be aware of something. That even though for the next hour to 45 minutes that we are going to shit all over Sylvester Stallone, we absolutely adore the man here in this show.
1: Yeah, poor Sly. Ugh,
0: there's really no other way to put it. But we have to say it right up front, almost as our disclaimer, and always a spoiler warning for a movie from 2012 and one from <laughs> 95, right? Yeah, 95. From 95. Okay. So before we get into talking about Judge Dredd, uh, a couple of things. We finally had uh, some contact with fans.
1: Yes.
0: And uh, we've gotten a little bit of feedback. and It's been nice to hear. So uh, we, we want you to continue with that, please. Uh, we enjoy when you reach out on uh, TikTok and Instagram. And that's uh, Gritty Reboot uh, at both places to find us.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate everybody that's coming out to listen to us talk and yammer into these microphones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just want you to know that we appreciate you. Even if, it's, if you. even if you have a comment that says we suck, we appreciate you.
0: Yeah, you suck. <laughs> no, uh, they let us know a couple of things. First off, a few mistakes. One is it's Professor Bloom. It's Professor Bloom is what I kept saying uh, throughout the entire show. And it's Broom. That is uh, Hellboy's adopted father. Uh, so that's a mistake that we made, and everyone also pointed out that you corrected me on almost every single number uh, for last week's show, uh, box office number. I think I got every single one of them wrong, and you corrected me uh, right after. And that's fine. Listen, she's correcting me all the time, guys. I'm used to it. It doesn't phase me at all, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, if you find my mistakes, I will talk about them on the air and apologize for them and try to make uh, make it as best as I can, I suppose. yeah. Uh, That's sort of the main thing.
1: We're human, so.
0: Yeah, they're all going to happen. It it is what it is. So uh, this week's show is uh, Judge Dredd. Do you remember how you first heard about Judge Dredd, the movie or the comic or anything like that?
1: I didn't really even know that there was a comic until we started digging into this a lot more. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of Judge Dredd Mm -hmm. uh, coming up when I saw it. So I don't really have a story or anything that kind of makes it. Warm and fuzzy in my heart.
0: So I, I do have some nostalgia here. Um, there's two things I want to mention going into it. One is GamePro from uh, late 1994 all the way to 1995. Yeah, they say. did uh, write-ups about the Judge Dredd game that was coming to the, the SNES and the uh, Genesis. Or Mega Drive for our European friends. Much cooler name than Genesis in my opinion. But I digress. So I was incredibly hyped about the film coming out because they showed a lot of clips from it and they talked about what Judge Dredd was about and they showed the cover art. And it wasn't until some point in 1995, they say, oh, it's also based off a feature film starring Sylvester fucking Stallone. And they show some images from the movie and I was in love. Like, I I was like, I've got to see this movie. And so uh, the game comes out, I think, three or four weeks before the movie does. So I get the movie. I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think how old I was at the time, but it's not really that important. I, I get the game and it's OK. You know, it's, it's nothing special, but I enjoyed it for a movie licensed game. I mean, it might as well have been, you know, Mario three. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was functional and nice graphics and generally looked like what things were supposed to look like. It um, actually did the plot of the film a, a lot of justice. Uh, if you really think about it, they even dig- digitized sets from the movie and put that into the backgrounds of the game. Uh, helped out a lot. And at the end of the game, he actually got to fight some comic book villains that weren't in the movie. So I, I had expectations high. So I dragged my poor father and mother uh, to go see Judge Dredd uh, opening week. And as with a lot of these movies, the opening week crowd was three people, three or four people inside that theater, uh, not including my, my father and mother as we went to go see this movie. And at the time, As a kid, I knew it wasn't great. (laughs) I knew that it wasn't what I expected or what I wanted. And I was disappointed by the film. And I guess I never really thought about it until the fact that this movie would end up becoming a a terrible financial failure uh, in Hollywood. And because of that, it would air almost on a loop on cable and sci-fi channel and USA, yeah. basically any standard cable channel that shows probably movies. probably how I watched it. Yeah, over and over again, you know, through the years to where you have the tagline and the joke, I am the law. Um, I am the, the law. Yeah, and people say that all the time. And, and you know, it was, it was popular before the, the Carl Urban film, to sort of say that in a reference to this film. But, but that's how the film really got out to people, is just being a horrible failure, and people knowing it was a horrible failure. Almost kind of like how, if you might stumble onto Glitter today. (laughs) Yeah, you only know Glitter because it's a terrible bomb. Oh
1: my god, Glitter.
0: And and now, rest assured, uh, Judge Dredd is a better film than Glitter. Yes. Uh, Now, that's not high praise at all. (laughs) Um,
1: Anything is better.
0: So, Judge Dredd was uh, 1995, uh, directed by Danny Cannon, uh, starring the one and only Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rob Schneider, Diane Lane, Jurgen Perchnow, Max von Sydow. A hell of a cast, you really want to get into it. And of course... The smoldering intensity of Armand DeSante is also present in this movie. Yeah. Obviously, I've seen it a bunch of times, but this is my first chance to like really sit down and like bite into the meat of the movie in a number of years. I think the thing that really got me the most watching the new 4K transfer is the quality of the effects. This is perhaps the pinnacle of... Of eighty style effects.
1: Yeah, the effects are phenomenal in the movie. Yeah, they really are. they still hold up.
0: Yeah, because they're pulled straight from a different era. If there's any CG, it's incredibly small and slight. For the most part, this is all done using models, rear projection, stop motion, animatronics. You know, these are older style effects. And because they are, they have a unique look to them. I mean, the whole movie has a really unique look to them. It's like, you know, Gotham City via Tim Burton tries to meet Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Right. And I think that's a solid point where these two movies kind of kind of meet up and, and you get the idea of what, what really what was happening in the movie. As a matter of fact, I think when we talk about the positive, that's one of the main positives. And I think the other positive about the film they really want to talk about is the score by Alan Silvestri. Yeah. It's a fantastic piece of music. A place throughout the film, and it oddly enough, you, you might not believe it, it's actually a temp score or, or, or a last minute replacement score.
1: Oh, wow! I yeah, did not know that. Yeah,
0: uh, Jerry Goldsmith. If you watch the original theatrical trailer, it's got music that you probably never heard before. Jerry Goldsmith started work on the movie, but the movie was such a production disaster and nightmare that they were doing reshoots and everything was taking longer that he had to leave the project to go do something else, things he was already committed to. So That trailer is his gift to the production. He just wrote the theme and said, here you go. You can have it, you know, just play it here and and let me know how it works out for you. And that's the only place you can ever find the original Judge Dredd theme from Jerry Goldsmith. Instead, it is Alan Silvestri, and he does a fantastic job. I mean, it's a potato potato, which one you would really prefer. They're, They're equally as good, I think, in my opinion. But I've always had a soft spot for that Silvestri score. It does a great job. Lining up with the majesty of Judge Dredd, like, you know, this big mythical figure who dispenses yeah. justice, not necessarily uh, about, like, a, you know, a dark and, and, and gritty character in this dystopian oh, like nightmare world. like a
1: gung-ho American.
0: Yeah, thing. very much so. You can almost, like, USA! Yeah. USA! You can almost hear that underneath it. And that's not an insult to the to the track. I, I like it quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I like the, uh, the score as well. It suits the movie well. Mm-hmm. Director Danny Cannon had beef with Stallone.
0: This is um, a legendary director and actor sparring bit.
1: In fact, Danny Cannon basically vowed never, ever to work with another self-absorbed actor ever again. Those were his
0: comments. And I think he'd mostly get that wish. Uh, <laughs> Danny Cannon had an incredibly successful career in television after Judge Dredd. Uh, lots of episodes of CSI and a few movies here and there in, his, in, uh, in the UK where he's from. Uh, Which is why he was a big fan of this character coming in, Mm -hmm. which is what led to his issues. Um, You know, he's British. Uh, 2000 AD, which is where Judge Dredd uh, emanates from, that's a British comic. And uh, much more popular over on that side of the pond than it was here in America in 1995. I I was a big comic book guy, and I I read Wizard and stuff back then, and I... Barely had any knowledge of who Judge Dredd was. I didn't know. Like when I saw the very first images in that GamePro, I was like, oh, I've seen this before, but I didn't understand you know, why or where it was from. You know, it wasn't Marvel or DC, so it was sort of tough to understand or to get into. But he has a big, big following over there. Now, now I, I, I want to say straight off the bat here, there are movies that are horrible adaptations, legendarily bad. This isn't one of those style of films, in my opinion. Like, like Dragon Ball Evolution. That is a movie that, like, <laughs> actively goes out of its way to shit all over that fan base. You know, the people that want to see it, it, it goes out of its way to make sure, oh, you like this? Well, guess what? <laughs> Like, that's pretty much the vibe of, of <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution. This movie isn't quite like that. It's not actively upset because I think there, there are a lot of nice little comic book uh, references and they keep the lore mostly where it should be at.
1: Except for the helmet.
0: That's the big thing, though. Judge Dredd it has,
1: takes off
0: his has one unique thing about him is that he never, ever removes his helmet and Stallone takes it off about 15 minutes into the film.
1: I mean it's it's from what I've read it's such a big or it's such a big deal that he takes off his helmet.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it really is.
1: Like the only time that he was ever shown without his helmet was uh one time and they put a bar over his face because it was disfigured. They disfigured his face and they put a bar over his eyes.
0: Yeah, yeah. It um it depends on the chronology of the time. Some people say he's disfigured, other people he's a clone of somebody, so technically he would look like that other judge. Yeah. It really depends in all honesty. But the point is, you never really see his face other than that one instance and flashbacks to when he was a child. Right. But you never ever see the adult Joseph Dredd's face. The movie does away with that pretty quickly. Now, the one thing I will say in the movie's defense is you don't spend $15 million to get Sylvester Stallone in your movie to put a helmet on his face throughout the entire runtime.
1: True.
0: That's one thing that, that...
1: but you're painting yourself into a corner there.
0: Very true, very true. But listen, he wouldn't be the first director or the first creative type to come in and say, like, hey, we need to alter this character in some way to make it cinematic. Um, a long, long time ago, uh, Del Toro was offered Halo. Guillermo Del Toro, uh, not Benicio. Just <laughs> just for clarification, even though they both work. Um, <laughs> what a fun movie to be that they did it together. Okay, that, that's enough fantasy <laughs> booking of, of Halo movies. But the first thing Del Toro said is, like, I got to take the helmet off. I can't do a movie where I can't see a character's eyes for two hours. Yeah. And listen, he's not wrong. I I understand that, where he's coming from. Whatever he
1: says, he's right. Yeah. I respect him. He's not
0: necessarily, you know, like I said, he's not necessarily wrong. It's just... For Master Chief, you had never seen his face before, but it wasn't like a sin or anything like that if it ever occurred. Right. It, it just never popped up in the games that he would, took off his mask or, or really anything like that. I'm sure there's some Halo fan out there right now who is oh, livid yeah. about some bit of lore that I, I just don't know. Just I,
1: glossed over.
0: I've only played the original three games religiously, and I, I think I played ODST, so but that's, you know that that's all I know. There's yeah. a
1: whole storyline, so oh, like, books and everything. Oh, so. I,
0: Oh, yes, I absolutely know. But uh, going back to Judge Dredd, you know, that is one of the main issues that pissed fans off just straight out of the gate is that Judge Dredd takes off his helmet. And we see Stallone's face and Stallone pretty much keeps that helmet off pretty much until what? The final shot of the film when he rides off into the sunset.
1: Only when he's kind of in the streets. Yeah,
0: yeah. The opening sequence, he has it on. And then after that, yeah, I guess it's time to talk about the, the negatives of the film. Now, did you have any other positive that I didn't mention that you want to get out here before we start tearing into the meat of *Judge Dredd*?
1: I thought you would want to know who was tapped to actually direct this movie besides Danny Cannon.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah Danny Cannon wouldn't be first choice. Yeah,
1: you'll never guess.
0: Mm, let's see. Did they? Um... I know it wouldn't have been Cameron.
1: Cohen Brothers.
0: Cohen Brothers. The
1: Cohen Brothers were offered the chance to make the film, but turned wow. it down because they were doing what film? Fargo.
0: They made a good choice to stick yeah. with Fargo. I'm going to be perfectly <laughs> honest. They they did it the right way there.
1: And it, it, they wanted to make this film back in the 80s, and they wanted Harrison Ford to be.
0: Yeah, that was really popular. Yeah. Fan casting was Harrison Ford for the lead because Danny Cannon uh, created a mock poster years earlier. Even though his poster, you can actually take a look at it if you go to Danny Cannon's Twitter. The poster doesn't necessarily look like Harrison Ford, but he literally writes, Harrison Ford is Judge Dredd at the top of his poster. So that was always the idea that he had had in mind. And a lot of other fans, I guess, did too. Like every now and then, there's always like a typical fan casting. Like guys loved um, Kiefer Sutherland or Sting for Constantine at one point. If you take a look at the character, you can kind of see that. Yeah. But that's not how it worked out. We got sliced alone.
1: Joe Pesci was supposed to be Rob Schneider's character at one point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: um, For- Christopher Walken was tapped to do Rico.
0: That wouldn't have been bad, actually.
1: No, you know, that I didn't wouldn't think have been so bad either.
0: I, this is the moment in time I wish I could do a Walken impression. I just can't. Oh, Man, I love um, Christopher Walken, and even St- Stallone was a pure second choice. They have literally asked Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I just never got back to them. Yeah. So, so they went right over to Stallone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing something at the time, and that's the why, reason why he said no. And plus, him and uh, Stallone are best friends.
0: Best, Yeah, well, they're frenemies. Yeah. They're frenemies. There's a legendary story about Stallone. Uh, they love
1: each other in a way, though.
0: Yeah, Stallone getting fooled into doing Stop Where My Mom Will Shoot because Schwarzenegger was like, this is the best script. And I haven't gotten it locked down or signed yet, but this is the. B- I'm so excited about doing this movie. You know, it's not 100% yet, so somebody can swoop in and get it. But, man, I'm excited to do Stop Where My Mom Will Shoot. And Stallone took the bait and ran with the movie. And that's always the, the, the legend is that, that Schwarzenegger conned him into doing that movie. So, and <laughs> wow. obviously, well, you know, that's one of the things that I, I want to talk about before we get into the bad here about uh, Sylvester Stallone is that Stallone has had a long career. Yeah. And the 90s weren't particularly kind. Uh, the 90s start off for him with uh, Rocky Five. Which is the low point of the series, according to most fans. Yeah, I hate Rocky, so... Uh, Oscar, which is... Most people are like, Oscar, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't even know. He tried to do some comedies, and this is one of them didn't work out. Obviously, the movie we just talked about, Stop, or My Mom Will Shoot. And pardon me, that's Stop! Exclamation point. Or My Mom Will Shoot. (laughs) With him and Estelle Getty from uh, The Golden Girls. And then in 1993, things turn around. He has a good year in 93. He's got Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is that... I love um, Cliffhanger. uh, Cliffhanger's a great film. And he did The Specialist in Between This and Judge Dredd. I want to bring up Demolition Man in 93. Demolition Man was a big sort of surprise hit for Stallone. People had modest expectations about it, but it did really well at the box office and critics liked it. Yeah, it's not a bad movie at all. Yeah, it's not a bad film at all. has a very light tone to it.
1: Yeah, light 80s tone.
0: And to me, I think that is one of the death nails in this project is that Stallone was desperately trying to make Demolition Man 2 out of Judge Dredd.
1: Yeah, that's that probably true.
0: He brought Rob Schneider back, and the one thing he and director... He
1: must have loved Rob Schneider, because that was his idea to to, to, bring in to Rob Schneider. Yeah, to bring yeah. In Schneider,
0: yeah. I mean, he might have. I, I, he might have got a huge kick out of him working with him on, on Demolition Man. You know, and he was primed to take that step from SNL at that point. I do remember um, this point in Schneider's career. You know, he was... Kind of famous for uh, Saturday Night Live. He had a famous character making copies. That's literally the entire bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody come along, the Toddinator, making copies. And that's it, guys. There's nothing else to it. You go watch the old things. It's just that one joke over and over again. Yeah. But he was friends with Adam Sandler, and it propelled him to enough of a stardom to where we can talk about him today and know who he is. So... Stallone wanted a much jokier tone that Danny Cannon was not about at all. And this led to huge fights on on this set and between the two figures. I think one of the things you see from that is this movie is very disjointed. You have Stallone coming on screen and things lighten up pretty well, you know, with, you know, with, I mean, they they get pretty darn light with him and Fergie and, and even like a little bit of, of chemistry with Judge Hershey played by Diane Lane. That is um, not fitting in with the rest of the movie, because you do the stuff with Armand DeSante and Jurgen Perch now, and that stuff is as serious as a heart attack. It really is. And then you go, and then you have sort of a more comedic sequence with uh, Stallone and Rob Schneider, and it, it leads to this, just that great disjointed feeling that the movie has.
1: Yeah, the movie tries to fit in a lot of different things into this movie, which... I'm not sure why, I I feel like they needed to focus more on one thing and go from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like they were, they had all these things they wanted to hit. Like, okay, we want to do a plane crash scene because we like that and we can do that. And so they put a plane crash scene in the movie.
1: Take an element from the comic book and run with that. You know, they kind of just barely sprinkle in some of the comic book stuff into the movie. And I think that if they would have stayed with more on point with the storylines from the comic books, they probably would have been a more successful movie, at least a little bit more focused.
0: Yeah, that, that you can certainly say that about a lack of focus. And there is some comic elements in there. I mean, uh, the storyline is a, an adaptation of a very famous uh, Judge Dredd story with the clones. Yeah. And him being a clone, Rico um, as well, his brother, a clone who loses his mind and he starts killing innocent people. The Angel Family, that's uh, from the comic. Um, Which
1: I hate that whole segment because...
0: Would you just get the Hills Have Eyes randomly ju- yes. shoved in the movie? It
1: just makes no sense. And yeah,
0: and I get their comic book characters, but, you know, the movie's overstuffed as it is. Armand Asante, and listen, we talked earlier about the great production design, the great sets and everything like that, and there goes Armand Asante, big jerk, chewing every bit of scenery that is available to him in this film. He is just tearing it up. And the thing about it is his character almost gets like one word, like one sentence. And the, yeah. Like that's it. He's almost entirely based off of just getting little one liners, turning to the camera dramatically and saying something. And then that's it. We don't really get to learn a whole lot about Rico because we have to get out to the desert and we have to be in the cursed earth and show the angel brothers. And dread has to learn the way from Max von Sydow. And, you know, we have to get all these things in the movie instead of getting a more focused story. That gives the characters a little bit of time to breathe. This movie's obsessed with being this big, full action epic, and it just ends up overstuffed.
1: Well, the original uh, idea for this this movie was to um, have him d- have the villain be Judge Death.
0: Yeah, which apparently
1: that, is a big villain in that would be comic book.
0: That world. would be his Joker, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, it's
0: the bad, the final bad guy in the video game from back in the day.
1: But because they use a lot of the budget, I guess on the, the effects they didn't want to, they thought it would be too expensive to create death skeleton body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and And once again, it's probably best. They didn't do it. They already have enough elements in this movie.
1: Yeah. But I think if they would have just focused on one thing mm-hmm. like this, like judge death. Yeah. Or, If they wanted to focus on Rico, just focus on Rico. We did not need those mutant whatevers.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about, you know, some of these other elements. I mean, we have a trial sequence in here. The whole point of the movie is that we learned from the prologue delivered by James Earl Jones, by the way. That the judges are literally that judge and jury and executioner. Yeah. And so the movie has a trial sequence in it. So a judge gets to have a trial. Nobody else does, but the judge does. Sure, yeah. that's fine. Whatever. But the problem is, the trial is full of such cockamamie bullshit. Because, like, the whole point is, like, Hershey is defending him and doing a nice job. And then, like, the prosecutor just says, like... Is she, though? <laughs> is she? Well, I mean, she, she, she's defending the, uh, the attacks coming against him.
1: She's doing a pretty bad job.
0: But what, what I like is that the prosecutor just randomly brings up that every bullet... That a judge fires is coated with his DNA. Yes. And that so lets stupid. us know that Judge Dredd is 100% guilty. And, of course, we get the line, I can't break the law! I am the law! I am the law. If you were just going to change the rules of the movie to send Judge Dredd to jail, which doesn't matter because he doesn't even get there... He only gets 40 miles out in the cursed earth before they go down. Yeah, because so there's none this of that weird
1: caveat that a t- supreme justice gets s- like a yeah, we, IOU yeah, before we, they leave. We
0: introduce another brand new rule like, oh, yes. And whenever a justice decides to retire, you are to carry out his final request. That's ridiculous. And you will play the Pina Colada song every day at two <sighs> o'clock in my honor. But instead of that, he asked for Dread to be spared and sent to Aspen so we can have a movie, basically. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's no reason he should ask for Dread to be spared. The whole purpose of what they do is if you kill an innocent, you'll fucking die. That's the point. And he literally violates that just so we can have the runtime of this film. Yep. Those are the little things that are frustrating from a screenplay standpoint because we had to get, okay, we need to get Dread into the cursed earth. How do we do that? And they found a way to do it. It's not great. And it takes away from the film. And it's time wasted from when we could explore what the clones are about, what not being a, a, a regular person would mean to Dread and Rico. But we don't those topics aren't explored at all. Like Dred finds out that he's like this unfeeling sort of individual. And it's, it's like just glossed over whatever. It's not a big deal.
1: Yeah, he's an emotionalist fascist.
0: Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. That's what he is, and and we just don't really get to our chance to even sink our teeth into anything that this movie really throws our way. We're just automatically on our way to either Armando Sante chewing scenery, uh, Jürgen Perchnow's character pulling off the dumbest plan. Because let's talk about his plan. His plan is I need to get Dread out of the way which could be done a bunch of different ways, but he picks the most complicated one Mm -hmm. of framing him for a murderer in the future. He has to silence the reporter. So at least that's two things, two birds, one stone. But instead of going some other way to try to bring about his clone technology, he brings back the most unhinged and dangerous judge there has ever been enlists his help. And yeah. And not only does he do that, He asks him to aid in the slaughter of hundreds of his judge brothers and sisters, just so he can get a cloning program off the ground and the senior judges don't even go for it. So, I mean, none of it works. Yeah. I I just, I mean, looking at it, I, I mean, there's so much crap in this movie and none of it's really any that, any that good.
1: And it's as serious as a heart attack.
0: It really is. Unless Rob Schneider's on screen, this movie is so goddamn serious. Yeah, you know, between Max von Sydow and Perch now, and Armando. De- I mean, Armando Santé gets the idea of a comic book movie. He's a great. He. I mean, Armando Santé would have fit nicely in a modern comic book movie. You know, with his performance, it's just over the top and sort of evil enough.
1: Yeah, that, about the. I guess the only thing I really liked, um, maybe, was the chick fight.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, Joan Chen, by the way, shows up has almost nothing to do uh, for the movie. <laughs> she's she,
1: supposed to be super sexually attracted yeah, to Rico.
0: Yeah, and it, like. it, yeah, it's sort of implied she's got some history of Rico, and, and she's just thirsty for him. She
1: wants him back. Oh,
0: yeah, she needs some of that Asante action. But instead, what we just get is her in a push-up bra and her fighting Diane An Lane. Awesome push-up bra. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's pushing him up. And this get, we get just a, a really lousy fight scene between her and Diane Lane. Yeah. And they kind of kick each other and roll around a bit. <laughs> And she eventually is shot in the back. One of the big issues that led to this movie being the horrible financial flop it was is because of the rating. So this movie is um, R, and it was supposed to be rated PG-13. And this was sort of a kiss of death for a comic book movie supposed to appeal to teenagers and things like Mm -hmm. that back in 1995. You can't run trailers during certain times for R-rated movies, so you can't go to Cartoon Network and buy a big block of ads for a big summer blockbuster if it's R-rated. Just it can't happen. Right. So Stallone and Danny Cannon fought, basically, over this issue with the rating. Uh, Danny Cannon thought of this as a bit more of a mature, uh, satirical film like RoboCop. Matter of fact, he pretty much wanted to make RoboCop. Uh, except with Judge Dredd. And that's a pretty good thing, because Judge Dredd, a lot of people compared that at the time, RoboCop two Judge Dredd.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard, too.
0: So th- that's a pretty good place to, if you're going to ape a movie, that's the one to do it for. But that's not really what happened. You know, Stallone kept coming in, trying to push more comedic elements and trying to get the rating down and down and down. So what, you know, was originally a bit more of a violent film uh, becomes a bit more neutered. Uh, the shots become a bit more tame. The blood becomes almost non-existent. The profanity disappears, yet somehow the film still does not get the rating that uh, they were aiming for. Um, And by the way, the ratings board can be incredibly tricky. There's no set rule except for, like, how many fucks you're allowed per PG-13 movie.
1: Yeah, I think the bloodiest part in the movie is when the uh, robot rips off the man's arms and legs. At least it's implied.
0: Yeah, when you see some some blood come down, you see some blood come down. There's a shot early in, in the start of the film when um, he hits somebody with a double whammy, I think. Probably the dumbest name for a, a weapon ever. Uh, and there's a little bit of blood there. But, I mean, there, there really is, isn't a ton of it. There's, a, I mean, a tiny bit of profanity. But the movie just doesn't carry what you would, you would normally associate with an R-rated 90s action picture. It's not that, uh, really, at all. So there, there, there's no real sense from, from that. And, and that, like I said, was just a kiss of death to this film at the box office. And one of the things that led to the, the financial st- status of the movie as being one of Hollywood's biggest failures and one of Stallone's great failures. Yeah. This is the exact reason that we started the show about Gritty Reboot, because this movie got exactly what it deserved, mm-hmm. which is one real Gritty Reboot. And this was delivered to us from uh, Alex Garland and Pete Travis. Yes. Um, and more about Mr. Travis uh, here in a little bit. Uh, In 2012, we get Carl Urban and Olivia Thrilby in Dread. Dread is everything the original film is not. It is accurate to the comic. It is hyper-focused. We only have one real story we are focused on, and that's getting to the top of the tower to take out the boss.
1: Yeah, and it's like you said, it's a gritty movie. It's a gritty reboot.
0: Yes. um, That's
1: why we do this show.
0: Yeah, this movie is exactly what everybody wanted from the Judge Dredd character once they found out more about him. And so this movie delivers it in spades. Violence, yes. High-quality action sequences, you bet. R-rated mayhem, got it. Mm -hmm. It, It's it's all there. What sets this movie apart from other reboots is, as I mentioned before, Alex Garland and his incredibly well-done script. It is not exactly reinventing the wheel or pushing any kind of boundaries, but the script is tight. The characters have focus and motivation, and the motivation holds solid and true throughout, and the script doesn't really take any shortcuts. Unless you count Dredd being an unstoppable killing machine being a shortcut, and I don't.
1: Well, one of the things that the comic book tries to do is um, paint Judge Dredd as kind of a Dirty Harry after Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And I think you get a lot of that in this movie.
0: I wouldn't argue with that at all, really. You get a
1: lot of that grittiness of the Dirty Harry-Clint Eastwood- picture
0: yeah and I, I think that's something there the movie does certainly have a, a, a western feel as you know you have this siege movie you know and they're just trying to stay alive surrounded by the enemy it does have that old western feel of a couple of cowboys or lawmen stuck out there and the bandits or the, the indians are coming for them or something like that yeah it really does have that that strong feel uh movie has a great sense of geography as they make their way up the tower we meet random people along the way mm-hmm. and they tell us a little bit more give us some color it, it it just benefits from being a Judge Dredd story. I mean, I understand the original film is a Judge Dredd story, but it's not Judge Dredd fighting crime.
1: And they stay focused by having one villain yeah. to focus on. And
0: that's all it is. It's Mama. Judge Dredd judging, fighting crime. Yeah. What the character is known for. It's like the original film is like if you went to go see a Batman movie and it became 90 minutes of him kayaking. (laughs) I mean, it might be an incredible river adventure, but it's not exactly what you go to see a Batman movie for. Yeah. You know, you go to see a Judge Dredd movie and, you know, there's trial sequences and him trying to clear his name and uncover this clone plot. And it doesn't really tie into the things that you want to know about the character. And listen, this would not be the first adaptation or sequel to start doing random things to get away from what we all want to see the character do. That's why reboots exist. And this is one of the better ones, because it nails exactly what we wanted, which was him dispensing his brand of justice in Mega City One. Yeah. I mean, almost everything in this film is better down to... Has a great cast. Yeah, down to uh, Carl Urban's dread, who once again, never removes the helmet. Ever.
1: No, in fact, Carl Urban kept in character even between takes. Mm-hmm. There was a, a joke that somebody said and it made the entire crew laugh except for Carl Urban.
0: <laughs> and then the person that. that made
1: the joke looked right at Carl Urban and Carl Urban stayed in character and stared him down.
0: <laughs> See, that's great. Until
1: he was forced to apologize. That's
0: great. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Listen, Urban is is fantastic. This is the role he was born to play. He is yeah, he's dread. great. Sadly, one of the things that these two movies have in common is they both underperformed at the box office. Um, Now, Dread was a much lower budget film than, if you adjust for inflation, a much lower budgeted film than the original Judge Dread. Um, This was almost sort of a modest action movie budget going into 2012's Dread. So, you know, what they pull off with that limited budget is very impressive. There's only a couple things that I want to give to the original film as doing better because I want to be fair. And one of which is the bike. Yeah. The Lawgiver, uh, no, Lawmaster, I think is what's called, for me. The Lawgiver's the, the gun. The gun. The Lawmaster bike is uh, sort of a running gag in the original film, but it has a great look to it. I, I really like how it works, but it's not a functional bike. It's just really a prop. Stallone rides it in on the opening sequence, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. In the new movie, the 2012 version, it is a functional motorcycle, and it actually has a stunt sequence opening, opening the film with Carl Urban just right on that motorcycle. Yeah, and isn't that actually urban in most of those shots? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually did most of the the stunt driving himself, correct?
1: Yeah, he absolutely did.
0: Yeah, and I think that's in- incredibly impressive. When you can, see, and I know you can't see his face, but when you can see even the lips and the mouth the, of the actor, he's
1: snarling.
0: Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world, really, about what you're what you're seeing. It lets you buy the action a little bit more than you normally would. It lends to the the weight the film has, and I, I love that. I really do. My
1: favorite part of this movie is Lena Headey. Yeah. I uh, think she's a great villain. mm -hmm. Uh, I think they portray her well. Mm -hmm. Um, She's kind of a scary character. Yeah. Um, She's man-hating, so that makes him scary for you, I imagine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) She um, is particularly ruthless and brutal, killing people with slow-mo. Or giving them slow-mo and then throwing them off uh, the top of the tower to slowly, slowly glide to their demise at the very bottom.
1: I love that scene where she she does that. She makes a guy take some slow-mo and then pushes him off the roof and he slowly just dies in ecstasy, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then, you know, the later on, this this is uh, done again when Dread throws her off the top of the building. Uh, very cool stuff. Uh, well, let, let's get into it. The, this movie uh, was shot for uh, 3D. Uh, in case any of you guys don't remember, that was a huge fad in 2012. People loved that. And every now and then, there is some odd cinematography that I would uh, attribute to, to that. There are some shots I don't think look quite as good as it could, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think the cinematography of the original film is stronger and more consistent throughout. And it all just stems from Having to use that 3D technology, Mr. Travis was a bit of an inexperienced director, which leads to probably the most interesting production factoid about Dread, correct? Yes. Is that uh, he did not actually direct the film. Well, he directed some of the film. And then at a certain point, Alex Garland basically took over the movie and made the whole thing work. Uh, And Alex Garland at that point hadn't directed anything, but he would later go on to direct the cult classic um, Ex Machina. Fantastic film about AI and Annihilation, a movie that isn't quite as well loved, but man, it should be.
1: I didn't like that movie.
0: Yeah. Well, either way, you can tell Garland is a fantastic director. Yeah. He's Um, got
1: some visual prowess.
0: Yeah. And his his writing pedigree is top notch. He wrote 28 Days Later. I mean, he's really been writing fantastic genre work uh, for a long, long time. So... His touch on this movie just increases the quality so much, and he understands the character and gives the fans what they want. But more importantly, he delivers us ninety-five minutes of a fantastic action film with a great character of dread. Yeah, I, I can't I can't stop singing this film's praises enough. Really, I've watched it a ton. I've, I've had the pleasure of watching it in uh, in three D twice. Once when it came out, and then again uh, on a friend's three uh, D television. Were uh, the, the only good use for that besides Avatar?
1: I think we did Drooms that night. Yeah,
0: I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's it made it all the more special. Both both movies are fantastic. I I I love Dread more than than Avatar, but man, this is exactly what we really wanted out of the character. And if you were a fan, this I I hope this pleased you immensely. Getting to know the character on this level, but as I said, the movie flopped, so we never got a sequel or follow
1: up. Yeah, some uh. I think the, the events of this movie take place over one day as well.
0: Yeah. It's just
1: one day in the quite, life of y- Judge
0: Dredd. Yeah, it's not quite real time or anything like that, but it, that's what I, I like about it. It's just a slice of life. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a Tuesday to him. This is what, what it takes. There's a line somewhere in the movie that I really enjoy where one of the guys goes over um, her mama's rise to power and what she did to take over the entire building. And I think... Anderson, the other judge who's with him, played by Olivia Thrilby, she says, uh, another judge didn't stop him. Judges don't come here. And Dredd real nonchalantly goes, well, you got a judge here now. So I, just, I love the way he says that because it says to me, like, yeah, I understand. She's got a lot of power and she's got weapons and she's got the numbers, but I'm still here to do my job and I'm going to judge her. That's it. You know, and, and that, that's a day for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look at the situation like, oh, my God, we're outnumbered. He just goes to do the job. Taken out, you know, hundreds of of her uh, minions and even a few dirty judges, which is another uh, action sequence I really like. And an element I like that shows you the corruption of the city without telling you about the corruption of the city. Yeah. More good screenwriting from Alex Garland. Is there anything that you want to throw on the top of the pile?
1: Uh, Mama was supposed to be an elderly woman. Oh, really? Yeah, she was supposed to be elderly, but Lena Headey uh, convinced the director to make her middle-aged and man-hating.
0: Okay, I like that. I like that. She really wanted that part. Really wanted it.
1: Yeah, and uh, for our uh, video game fans out there, um, Slow Mo was inspired by Fallout's jet.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's yeah. the same design, yeah. Uh, fun fact, in Fallout, uh, you have to craft that just using uh, cow shit. And plastic. (laughs) So, yeah, you're just inhaling cow shit to go to do slow-mo, basically. I mean, you know, I'll accept that as canon. I don't care. I'll I'll take that no matter what.
1: Slow-mo slows time. Um, The sound effect that you hear when somebody does slow-mo... That is actually a Justin Bieber song slowed down 800 times.
0: Oh, no shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a cool fact. I didn't know that. Now I got to look up what song it is.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. D- I didn't know what song it was. That's yeah. the only thing I could not figure out. Yeah. But...
0: That, that, that reminds me like Inception. They slowed down some peel songs to like, you know, like one one thousandth of regular yeah. speed or something like that. And they sound creepy and weird. That's a super cool fact to know. I, I really like that.
1: Uh, the only other thing that I have on this movie that I thought was interesting was... Uh, you'll never guess who was tapped to direct this movie besides the directors that directed it.
0: I can't guess. Who could it be?
1: Duncan Jones. David Duncan David Bowie's Jones. son.
0: Yeah. He had done Moon a couple years yeah. earlier. And Moon set the sci-fi world on fire, really. That's Every, why. Everybody was talking about what he's going to do next. He ended up picking source code, a movie that yeah. I, I like, but have some issues with. But uh, we'll never cover it because it's not a reboot. So <laughs> but no, I, it, that's a very interesting fact. I, I like that a lot.
1: Other than that, um, those are the some of the things that I liked about the movie the The best thing I thought was Lena Hetty is she's a great villain. Um, this movie is very focused mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. It's not as crazy and overstuffed as the the first movie uh it's a it's an all in all better reboot. It's not a great movie it's not perfect by any means but it does its job, and it does its job well. I well, like, it, like a lot of the gore in it.
0: Well, it was certainly one of my favorite movies of 2012. Yeah. And I mean, this is, exactly the, this is exactly the kind of film that should be rebooted. 100%. You take a movie that just didn't work, missed the mark for whatever reason, and then you find out what that reason was, and you fix it. And that's all that this really does they fix every problem with that original movie and we got ourselves a classic out of it. Even if it took audiences a little while to find it.
1: Absolutely. So I guess that would bring us to the reviews of these movies. Yes. Judge Dread the 95 got a 3.7 user review, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 5.5 on IMDb.
0: Not as bad as I thought.
1: Yeah. Uh, Interesting. I have a one star review for this movie. Okay, so I'm biased. I'm a big fan of the comics. This is this excuse for a movie we're based on. And this movie falls short in replicating the action. The feel and the pathos of those comics. Sly was all wrong for the role of Joe Dredd. And he removed his helmet. No! (laughs) The plot was cobbled together from many different stories and characters from many different eras were all thrown together in a weak movie. What worked? The opening block war was cool as was the ABC Warrior. Beyond that, this movie fell way too far short.
0: Yeah. That ABC Block Warrior was super cool. I I got to mention again, that was built entirely with animatronics by the request of the director. And man, it looks fantastic every time they bring it out. I love the look of old school animatronics.
1: Yeah, it was made with uh, hydraulics and then there are uh, five uh, uh, remote operators.
0: Five very sweaty guys. Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere around that. Super cool. The effect really pays off. Uh, Gentlemen, as always, I always bring to you the words of the finest critic who ever lived, Roger Ebert. Now, uh, fun fact, Gene Siskel put the original Judge Dredd film in his worst list of 1995. Uh, Ebert didn't hate it quite as much. He gave the film uh, two stars. The first voice we hear in Judge Dredd belongs to James Earl Jones, reading the words that crawl up on the screen, describing a future world in which most of the Earth is a wasteland and humans huddle. Enclosed violent megacities. Jones' voice, along with the words crawling up on the screen, are reminders of Star Wars. The fact that he had to read them is a reminder that in 1977, when Star Wars came out, audiences didn't need to have them read. We are getting closer to the wasteland every single day.
1: Nice, good good words.
0: Yeah, you know, this isn't the smartest movie, and Ebert kind of points that out. You know, same things that's been said. You know, there's some nice action sequences here and there, and every now and then Stallone is game. I think he has some really, um... Yeah, actually, Dread is played by Sylvester Stallone, who is ideal for a role like this because he's smart and funny enough to pull it off. The screenplay, however, gives him little help, with a love interest, Diane Lane, who never really connects, and a comic sidekick named Fergie, played by Rob Schneider, who seems badly out of tune and a tagline. I knew you'd say that doesn't exactly rank with make my day or even I'll be back. And I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a real solid point. You know, I knew you'd say that. Um, and and the one of the things I wanted to mention is now that Ebert brought it up before we get into it, I have to just say this, I have my piece on it. The very end of the movie has maybe one of the worst kisses in cinema history. (laughs) Like the love story is non-existent between himself and Hershey other than them, you know, not being jerks to each other. Like that's not how, yeah. that's not how love stories it's work. More like friends. Yeah. And at the end, he just kind of kisses her and he's like, I've rediscovered my emotions, my humanity, even though he hasn't done any of that work narratively or showed it at all. Yeah. And that's one of the things I talked about in bad scripts, just a shortcut. And yes, I know that tons of stuff were cut to get to that P to try to get to a PG 13 rating. And maybe that was an element of it that got cut. But if so, then I mean, reshoot that ending while you're at it. Because it just doesn't work and sticks out like a sore thumb. Like them, you know, having a ride off in the sunset with the girl. It's just so painfully bad in that movie.
1: Okay, so Dread 2015. Now, I couldn't for the life of me find a user review score on this movie. I have no idea why. Yeah. But I did get a 7.1 on IMDb and a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly a much better movie from the... 1995 version. Indeed. And here is a one-star review. Always our favorites. It's always hard with movies based on books. Reading the books, each person creates their own internal images of what they're reading. It's an impossible task for a director to recreate something that is unidentifiable by everyone. But wait, Dread is based on a comic book. With pretty darn good drawings of everything, there's even another movie that got it right with the uniforms and the lawmaster bikes. Was the director unaware of this when choosing how to portray Dred's world? Just add water. The visuals are given and only <laughs> needed to a bit of polish. Guess they filmed it in the projects down the block. What could have been added was some true dilemma and death. The director missed so many count this movie should have been judged.
0: So this is what sometimes the criticism we get when we lavish praise on an original film and criticize um the remake that comes out mm-hmm. is that we're just old heads that love that movie. And that is the old head who absolutely loves Judge Dredd. Yeah. Stallone's version. He looks at the what was it? Versace?
1: Versace. Versace,
0: yep. Versace yeah, because the close personal friend of Stallone. He uh asked Johnny Versace himself to design the Judge Dredd outfit. And they certainly look like something designed by Versace. It's um, you know, you know, he loves that man. More power to him, but He's way off the mark, (laughs) way (laughs) off the mark. You know, there's a few things I like, but man, he's way off the mark. (sighs) But it is nice to hear someone lavish some praise on a movie that I've seen hundreds of times and don't particularly care for. Yeah. God help me. Why do I do these things to myself? If you want to let me know all the things that are wrong with me by me watching movies that I don't care for over and over again, I'm looking at you Back to the Future 3. Hellraiser. And hey, you shut your (laughs) mouth about it. Hey, you're going to have to... You'll have such sights to see soon enough. That reboot comes out next month. (laughs) Uh, But if you want to um, solely inject hundreds of needles into my brain because of my bad movie takes, uh, please let me know that at GrittyRebootCast at gmail.com. Or as mentioned earlier, that's GrittyReboot at TikTok and Instagram. And uh, we do a little bit of gaming at uh, The Kitchen Ace on uh, Twitch as well. Maybe I'll play a little bit of the old Snest Judge Dread game on there this week. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Why not? Yeah. Hey, listen, anything's possible. Hey, nobody's watching anyway. Might as well do it. So with that, we're going to wrap up here. And we got to get ready because uh, next week is going to be the 10th episode spectacular. That's right. All of our loyal listeners, we have finally made it to 10 episodes. I think I read somewhere that 70% of podcasts don't get past number eight. So we're doing something right, guys.
1: Yeah. Woo.
0: Uh, thanks a lot for everybody who interacts with us on um, on all social media and anyone who sent us any message. Uh, we appreciate yeah, keep it. keep it up. We really do. Let us know. Keep talking to us because we're going to keep doing this show because we got nothing else better to do. And we love talking about reboots and we love talking movies and we ain't going to stop.
1: Uh, yeah, that's for damn sure.
0: All right, guys. We'll uh, catch you next week uh, for the 10th episode of Spectacular. See ya.